Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. I don't know what happened there. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hello, would you like to buy some puppies? That sounds a bit wrong, doesn't it? It, it does. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. It's a very creepy show tonight. It is, It's yes. like it could be a Halloween episode. Missing children on the uh, on the horizon. <laughs> Um, do I have anything to say? Do you have anything to say? Oh, the Supergirl trailer dropped. I did not recently. see it. Have you not watched it yet? Six minutes, uh, I saw. I didn't know it was six minutes. Finally. When it said it was a trailer, I thought in like 30 seconds. Next time, an all new episode. That kind of thing. Yeah. Turns out six minutes. Yeah. You know, do you remember when they launched The Flash? Right. And they, they did one of them for The Flash. Was, it was the about trailer seven over in the But the seven minutes was pretty much the pilot condensed into seven minutes. So okay. you could probably figure it all out if you were uh, paying close attention. So it was the same with this one. You could probably figure it all out if you were paying close attention to it. But it was good. Okay. It's actually looked like fun. All right. You remember fun? I did hear that it was more silver age than current. It did seem that way. And yeah. she's, she's, she's got the suit and the S and the cape. And, and everything you expect from Supergirl. Everything you expect from Supergirl. And yeah. it's blue and it's red and it's yellow and it's it looks it's pretty It's actually cool. yellow. Does, I saw, there's a belt yellow. I, I think know. a belt's yellow. Is it not like brownie, like a, a dark yellow? No, it, it looks it looks yellow. It's an actual... I think okay. it looks yellow. It's an actual bright colour. I'd have to watch it again. Okay. Because the Flash's costume isn't red, it's like a maroon. When you see it at night, it looks black, doesn't it? Yeah. And yeah. um, the Green Arrow's costume isn't green, it's like a... Maroon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very dark green. Yeah, whoever's in charge of the DC And Superman's and costume in Man of Steel is... Yeah. Dark. Whoever's designed it all must really have... have Low electricity bills. He's <laughs> come from the X Files. Yeah. Probably what happened. Uh, yeah, well, all right. Well, we can't talk about that because you've not watched it. I've not. So, have you seen Gorilla Grodd on the Flash? I've seen all of it. Oh, so good. So very, very good. Okay. And the episode of Agents of Shield with Safin. Uh, I've not seen any season two. That was quite fun. I've still got two episodes of Agent Carter left. Uh, and have then, you? Yeah. Watched. And then it's Daredevil because I'm just putting off Agents of Shield, which should not be. I should not be putting off a TV. If you show. want to watch it, don't watch it. I'm only. I don't really want to watch it, but I've got a deadline coming up, so background TV. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. Uh, anyway, so, all right then. Should we should we look in the email bag? Okay, doc. Should we delve into the sack of emails? That Listen, never got old. This is me delving in. Look, Pepper, an actual printed email. Lying. Liar. Yeah, you are. Because I'm reading it electronically. For a minute, we actually thought we weren't going to have an email section today, didn't we? Yes, we did. Because uh, the email wasn't working. I couldn't access the email, so we thought we were just going straight into the show. But no, lo, the gods of podcasting, the pod gods, 
The pod gods. The pod gods did not feel that the show would work without an email section. <laughs> they took pity upon us. They took pity upon us and said, well, these two chances can't just go straight into a show. Yeah, yeah. They need the warmth and embrace of their loving audience. They need to feed their egos. They have a strict routine. They have from, the Yeah, from their kind words. That, that's what we need. Well, kind, I know I do. Kind anyway. words to boost our ego. I know my ego needs feeding at every available opportunity. Because later on into the week we get a bit beaten down and <laughs> the uplifting emails. <laughs> oh, hey, Leyland, you suck. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent first email. <laughs> Some emails are more uplifting than others. Our first email is from AOL Badhead Cop 3. <laughs> you suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, our first email is don't call me Frank. Call me Mr. Tibbs. That was you call me Mr. Tibbs, wasn't it? Don't call me Shirley. I, just, I would not call you Shirley. Good accent. Uh, it's Chris Franklin. Hello, Christopher. Do you like that I just waved? Yeah, yeah. In an audio <laughs> medium. Hello, Leyland. Hello, Christopher. I enjoyed your initial reactions to the Star Wars trailer. I think I was a bit more wowed by it by neither of you, but I'm not as big a Star Wars fan as you, Ander, so I'm not nervous about them screwing it up too much. Now, Batman v Superman, that's another matter entirely. I'd like to have heard your thoughts on that in the raw. Well, your thoughts in the raw, not you in the... Moving on. Raw. It's the only way to go. It is. Well, I, I quite like sitting here with it all hanging out. Makes for a very awkward recording, <laughs> but I'm glad one of us is comfy. And crossing your legs is a little bit uncomfortable. It has to be said. I keep crushing a bottle. <laughs> Leslie Nielsen is the Punisher. <laughs> Speaking of Shirley. Well, Frank Drebin, his character from Police Squad and the Naked Gun films, was known to mow down criminals, stabbing a man in the park. Of course, it was really a performance of Julius Caesar, and those were actors. Good ones. But I digress. This sounds like a gripping story, and I appreciate your coverage of it. I tend to steer away from this type of material, mostly because I still look to comics for escapist entertainment. But kudos to all involved for apparently handling the topic so deftly. Next time, the Rocketeer! Now you're talking, Chris. I like that Chris emails in even when he's not read what we're talking about. I listened to you talk about this comic I've not read. You made it sound either A, not good, or B, like something I need to read. Brilliant! <laughs> I love that. Gabriel Jimenez emailed in again. Hello, Gabriel. Scott Pilgrim, too. That's what he's emailed in about. Hey, amigos. Wow, what an episode. I was expecting only a Scott Pilgrim-centric follow-up episode, but I was more than pleased to hear the magnificent, long, and diverse conversation during the email segment. Kudos to the letter writer, whose name escapes me. Sorry. Who inspired such a lively and entertaining discussion. Ah, you see what he... Because he was the... Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I like that. We've been having a, a lot of them recently. We have, yeah. It's you. It's Soapbox. You carry that Soapbox round with you. <laughs> I, I keep it built in all week yeah. when we're recording, yeah. <laughs> I hate this and this is why. You just need to stay off Tumblr. I, I, I don't even go on it. That's, That's how right. bad it That's is. That's what you need to do. Holy cow were to begin. I'll start with Pilgrim, as it was this episode's topic. Again, good job to Michael. His reviews for the volumes covered in the show were particularly enlightening, as I've not read them. And there are many differences from what is in the movie. It's great how a story can have so many layers, or that there are several characteristics that can appeal to many different people. Come for the humour, stay for the feels, or vice versa. Like the episode before it, very good job on the editing. It must be a relief for Andy, knowing that he can leave such a big job in more than capable hands. It's more than a relief. Is it? Yeah. No editing for you. It's a week off. You you haven't thanked me for editing it before. Yep. 
a couple of Michael ones are coming up soon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, email in, lovely listeners, if you can guess what you think we're covering in a couple of weeks. Yeah. What recently finished series do you think we'll be if, covering? If it's not more than obvious, listen to more shows. <laughs> Gabriel continued, in your intro you covered a lot of things, one of which is something I have complained about and have been bitter about for a long while, writing for the trade. As decompression took hold of the industry, can we blame Bendis for this? There might have been other writers who were doing it, but he was the first one I read working like this for a mainstream publisher. I think it was Warren Ellis, wasn't it? Was it? Wasn't Warren Ellis the first one to do writing for the trade? But then Warren Ellis was also the first one to pull back from it when everyone else started doing it. Right. I think, was the authority not the first decompressed widescreen comic book? Yeah. Was Was it not the authority? It I can't think of one before that. Stormwatch? Well, that was Warren Ellis, wasn't it? Yeah. So, But was that as widescreen as The Authority? I don't think Stormwatch is as well received as The Authority, is it? Is The uh, Authority spin out of Stormwatch? Yeah, yeah. Right. I think The Authority was better received, though. Mm. The Authority seems to be the one that everyone remembers and yeah. mentions as classic comics, whereas Stormwatch just largely seems forgotten mm. in many ways. Although he did wipe out the entire team in an Aliens crossover, so... Unfortunately, I have to go, says Gabriel. I was just getting into that. (laughs) It's just not on, is it? I've been trying to get this done to send to you from work, and wouldn't you know it, they actually want me to do some work. (laughs) Such is life, so I'll finish this off at a later date. What I did want to mention, Bragg, was that after work here, I will be heading off to the premiere of Avengers 2. I know you guys got it last week, so you probably saw it already, but I was wondering if your show included the presence of Marvel Studios head honcho Kevin Feige. Because mine will. <laughs> the perks of working in LA for a company that has dealings with Disney. It's a private showing for our firm. Woot! Later dudes. Gabriel, that sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? It does. Attending Avengers with Kevin Feige. But it doesn't matter who's attending if you have to pay for it. I don't care who's attending, but I'm not paying for it. And he didn't pay for it. Well, even so, better. So even better. Yeah. Uh, Robert MacDonald emailed in, not punishing spam. We don't get a lot of spam emails. We don't, unless we go back into our spam email and we write to the got. <laughs> we've got tons and it does a very good job we've, of filtering them out. Oh, we've got actual legit emails. That we've never read. Yeah. There's an entire segment of the listening audience, <laughs> at least four of the 16 that listen, who have sent emails in and got really irate with us that we never read their emails. Yeah, that's Read another email from, from that guy again and not me. The many downsides of having a name such as uh, Free Viagra. <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, Robert McDonald, as I've said, is the next emailer. Hey, Leyland. Hello, Robert. Loving the podcast, self-aggrandizing. <laughs> this one as well as Palace of Glittering Delights, my other show, lovely listener. And Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast, lovely listener. <laughs> Even if they're all on 2TrueFreaks.com. Even if you guys think something is utter crap. There's a joy about the subject that permeates the discussion. That lifts these podcasts above other similar work by others. There's very few get out of my lawn moments of snark, which is great. Comics and sci-fi should be fun and embraced. And while snarkiness has its place, it can quickly obscure whatever affection is held for the subject at hand. I don't know, Robert. I think we're pretty snarky sometimes. We, we can be. We yeah. can be, can't we? Mm. Ghost Rider. Number one is the one that strings to mind. Ghost Rider's the highlight of, of the show. <laughs> Ghost Rider's the highlight in Snarksville. Yeah. 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 Alright, fair enough. Uh, now on to the Punisher edition, says Robert. I was never a huge fan of Frank Castle. My comic spirit guide has always been Spider-Man, but this walk down memory lane with Frank was a fun and insightful journey. 
Frank's a difficult character to write, mainly because he can, in the hands of lesser writers, be one note, essentially a flesh-and-blood killbot from Futurama. However, the stories you both picked out for these episodes don't seem to be the case, and they treat Frank as a thinking and human character, which is something I'm interested in reading, and as such, I'll be picking up these stories in trade down the road. In closing, I wonder, what are your opinions of Greg Rucker's run on the character? I didn't read that much of it myself, but what I did read treated Frank as the shark from Jaws. I was wondering also what your impression was of the news that Tom Hardy wants to play the Punisher. I like Hardy, but since Marvel is talking bringing Punisher to Netflix, I think he might be too big an actor to commit to a 13-episode run. Thanks again for all the hard work and fun provided by the show. Robert in Calgary, Alberta. Canada. Oh, I read the first six issues of Greg Rucker's run and wasn't overly impressed with it. Do you remember reading it at all? Uh, I think I read the first issue. Is that all you read? I think I read the first... I liked the woman Punisher. Right. Who's all the family got gunned down at her wedding. Okay. I liked her. Isn't that like Kill Bill? That, that would... That, yes. That, uh, okay. Yeah, moving on. Yeah, I did, I did like how this, the series was about him, but he wasn't the main character in it. Well, it seems to me that that, that is the way to treat a Punisher story, isn't it? Yeah. It's not to make him the main character. Well, unless you, you, you don't... Unless you know how to write him, the best way to write him is to not. Yeah, is to write about the people that come into his orbit. Mm. Which is why he probably would have been a good television show in the 80s. Yeah. Much like what we're going to cover today. Anyways. Uh, David Gutierrez. Oh, Tom, Tom what's his name? Tom Hardy. He's Mad Max. He can't be the Punisher as well, can he? Uh, and he's Bane. The actuality and deception of the glitches the one dark night. Yeah, he was almost in um, Suicide Squad. Who was he supposed to be in Suicide Squad? I don't know. The, the, apparently they ditched him. Ah, uh, see, that's not what I read. He's quite sad about it, is what I read. I, uh, well, he's quite sad about it. I read he just had a scheduling conflict. Right, okay. The reason that um, sometimes there's not a big drama. Yeah. Like the reason that, uh, what's his face isn't Wolverine? Dougray Scott! Okay. The reason he's not Wolverine is he just ended up filming Mission Impossible 2 for much longer. Alright. And, you know, who's still making Wolverine movies? Hugh Jackman! Not after the third one. So basically he's just fell into a role that's made him rich and famous. Yeah. yeah. Poor Dougray Scott. <laughs> I wonder if he ever looks at him and goes, that's my career, you bastard. Yeah. Be quite sad, that. Because he had the role, this wasn't a, right, okay. a thing, he was going to play Wolverine. Right. And he had to drop out because of Mission Impossible. Going overboard. Anyway, David Gutierrez emailed in. Glittering thoughts and Hey Kids quitters. Andy and son. All good things, they say. And your Hey Kids show is a great thing. I will miss it. Congratulations to young Michael on the next great phase of his life. I know I'll probably speak for most of the audience, all 15 of them, when I say we look forward to see what you do next. Based on Michael's knowledge of how to make prison shanks, I think he'll do just fine at a dormitory or group situation. I heard Wigan was rough, but apparently it's very tough. <laughs> is, that, is that what you've had to do to survive? It is, yeah. <laughs> Making a, what's his name, out of a toothbrush. Yep. You either, you either take heads or give heads, and I'm not prepared for the latter. <laughs> You've got them all on your wall. <laughs> it's quite off-putting. <laughs> In many ways. Uh, Punisher shows were great. Have you guys read Suicide Run? Have we have not read the We've Suicide not. Run. No, I'm not aware of what that is. If not, think of Death of Superman only done with Frank Castle. All right. Three or four new Punishers arise to take advantage of or take the place of the deceased Punisher and the return of Stephen Grant to the series. It was... Interesting. <laughs> when people put it was interesting, it normally means it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Almost as interesting as Frankencastle. 
Do you know, I thought Frankie Castle sounded like a lot of fun. Yeah, it did, actually. <laughs> and Punisher in space. <laughs> yeah. It just sounded like, okay, we've come to the realisation that we can't really top what Garth Ennis did. So let's just do wacky shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, right. the Punisher meets Archie. <laughs> did he shoot everybody? I don't think he did. Did he well, nail Betty and Veronica? Maybe not. But Predator <laughs> showed up. Predator showed up. Oh, that's Predator meets Archer. Punisher versus Predator versus Archer. Uh, no, no, they were two different series. Oh, right. But it would have been cool if he crossed over. Punisher versus Predator. Because he did Terminator as well. Why did that never happen? I don't know. Because it's a good idea, isn't it? Well, they've killed off Archie now. Has he? Oh, he's afterlife, isn't he? Well, they killed him off, and then they did a spin-off horror title where he's a zombie, and then Mark <laughs> Wade just restarted it. They did a spin-off horror title where Archie Andrews is a zombie. That's afterlife with Archie. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> oh, dear me. Where's my zombie? That's the publisher of Archie Comics. Yeah. What do you mean, sir? Everyone's got a zombie comic. It's successful. I want a zombie. Well, can we kill Archie? Okay. That's controversial enough. <laughs> Seems fun to me. All right, fair enough. We'll knock emails on the head, though, and uh, we shall return to them next week with uh, some, some familiar faces returning and a new person has emailed in for one of the funniest emails that I've read in ages. It was really funny. I really enjoyed it. So we'll be back after these commercial messages for a show that isn't us. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. When the 1970s rolled around, Stan Lee, ever with his finger on the pulse, was keen to promote diversity and forward thinking in Marvel's line of comics. To that end, the publisher started to explore new territory, with comic books aimed at a different readership market and hopefully target a different demographic. Tales such as The Cat, Shana, The She-Devil and Ms. Marvel were aimed at the female readers and there was a conscious attempt to promote ethnicity with the introduction of characters like Captain America's new partner, The Falcon, and a solo strip for The Black Panther. One of the most successful of the line was Luke Cage, a jive-talking, Richard Roundtree-inspired hero who walked straight out of Harlem and into the pages of his own title in June of 1972. Luke Cage is a character I've always had an inordinate amount of fondness for, despite only rarely reading his own strip. Thanks to the way the UK received US comics, I would be picking up Power Man and Iron Fist, especially whenever Kerry Gamble was the artist, and around the same time I was reading Luke's earlier adventures where he fought Spider-Man or subbed the Thing in the Fantastic Four. Luke Cage is a very relatable character, a normal guy who's given a small amount of superpowers, at least by Marvel standards, who then turns to his abilities to make money. Which brings us to the other thing I like about Cage. His early comics are practically an early 80s Stephen J. Cannell show, which never was. 
a tone I hope the upcoming Netflix TV show will try to emulate. I'd like nothing better than the series to have a cracking, almost post-Carpenter-style opening credit sequence and an action-adventure tone. Aiming for the feel of Burn Notice would be something I know I would appreciate. Probably no one else would watch it, but I'd appreciate it. Luke Cage is to first appear in the Jessica Jones series and will be played by Mike Coulter. And there is a wealth of great ideas for the series to mine, especially as a later Netflix series is going to be Iron Fist. It's like they plan this stuff. It is. Luke Cage is just a brilliant idea waiting to happen. Why he was never a TV show in the 70s starring somebody like Fred Williamson is Mm. just one of those great unsung mysteries of time. Because having read the first issue of this, that's a television pilot from the 1970s, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's, that's pretty much what it is. Uh, created by Archie Goodwin and George Tusco, with assistance from John Romita and Roy Thomas, Cage is a pretty textbook 70s character. Hell, even the cover of Hero for Hire issue 1 by John Romita could have been a black exploitation classic movie poster. The cover features Luke in his wonderfully dated yet magnificently kitschy yellow shirt that seems to have no buttons from the belly button onwards, blue jeans, silver tiara and bracelets that presumably Wonder Woman had cast off, and a chain belt. He's standing in front of a montage of neon lights, sexy ladies, gambling dens and corrupt coppers. I love it. Gene Hunt's there somewhere. Is he? Yeah. He's in the front of my shooter balls. Do you like that cover? Do you like Johnny Jazzy Johnny Ramuta's cover? It's it's a Luke Cage hero for high. It's a bit clustered. Look at Luke Cage in the middle. Yeah. But then it's like, well, there's a little bit of dead space here, so let's put some dice there. Yeah. There's more dead space here, so put a bar sign there. Oh, there's, there's a, we'll do half of a gunman here in this little bit of dead space. Well, it's not helped by the... Um, amount of room it has. It's not helped by the mid-70s thing of having your picture in a box. Yeah. And then the logo and everything else outside of a box. That was the, the 70s layout of covers for Marvel. It doesn't really do it any favours. Mm. But as a piece of art in and of itself, I really like it. I think that's, that's a 70s movie poster. Yeah, I guess. I think, it's, I think it's really cool. I don't know where he gets his buccaneer boots from. I can't imagine he's going to be wearing that. Because they look like the fur layer, don't they? They look like there's fur around the top of them. Yeah. That doesn't, I don't think that, uh, that that's going to happen in the TV show. <laughs> I really want them to do that, though. You really want Luke Cage to wear fur? If we're not going to get a, a yellow Daredevil, then I at least want a yellow Luke Cage. We got a black Daredevil. He had a black costume. Not, not the same thing, no. Right, fair enough. Sensational origin issue is, uh, is all the cover copy has to say. Out of Hell, A Hero was written and drawn by the aforementioned with Billy Graham on inks. Seagate Prison, sometimes called Little Alcatraz, off known by another name, Hell. Carl Lucas is led out of solitary by Quirt, a scumbag cop who's probably the picture definition of a tiny amount of power going to someone's head. Lucas wastes no time easing back into gen pop and making it clear he's not going to be following new inmate Shades who plans to show this new one what what. That Lucas isn't about to get involved attracts the attention of Captain Racker who wants Lucas to act on his behalf. Lucas says, Don't take that I don't want anything to do with them as evidence I want to have anything to do with you, sucker. I didn't say the sucker, but I just added that for flourish. Rackham orders Lucas put back in solitary and tells Quirt to break him. Quirt starts to beat on Lucas so hard the echoes of the blows can be heard throughout the prison, and even his fellow guards feel he's going too far. 
It's okay, though, as the aforementioned new warden chooses that very moment to arrive and locks Quirt in solitary with Lucas. You can imagine how well that goes. Warden Stewart starts making reforms immediately, demoting Rackham to guard, something Rackham blames on Lucas, and allows the prison doctor, Noah Burstein, access to Lucas. Noah wants to hear why Luke claims to be innocent. Lucas tells him that back in the day he was a crook. Small time, but still. He ran with his BFF, Willie Stryker. As Lucas pulled back from crime, Stryker got in deeper. So deep that one day he was on the receiving end of a brutal and sustained beating after encroaching on another's territory. Stryker's girl, Reba, runs for help and Lucas shows up and saves Stryker's life. He takes this badly, as after being witness to Stryker's life, Reva prefers to ditch him, something Lucas encourages, as he has always held a torch for her. Stryker thinks Lucas has poisoned Reva against him, despite the fact that Lucas just saved his life, and he frames Lucas for being a pusher. With Lucas in jail, Stryker moves back on Reva, but she is killed when the syndicate hits Stryker. Lucas is in jail for a crime he didn't commit, and now lives only for revenge. Dr. Burstein offers Lucas a chance for parole if he agrees to a top-secret experiment in stimulating human cell regeneration, a possible cure for disease and ageing. With Rackham calling the shots in prison, Lucas agrees. However, as the experiment continues, Rackham steals in and sabotages it, overdosing Lucas in the chemicals, but a side effect of his meddling is that the machine backfires and Lucas is freed. Lucas fights off Rackham, but the love tap Lucas thinks he gave him was in fact far more powerful. Fearful he may have killed Rackham, Lucas punches a wall in anger and it gives. A few more punches and Lucas is free and he runs like hell. However, the guards are waiting and gun him down. Taking a belly full of lead, Lucas falls into the sea and his body sinks to the floor. Lucas is swept ashore, the bullets having left nothing but bruises. Whatever it was in those chemicals has made him a literal man of steel. Back at Seagate, guards find Lucas's bullet-riddled shirt and assume him to be dead. He makes his way to New York where, after stopping a robbery, he takes the reward money and sets himself up in his own business. Luke Cage, hero for hire, is open for work. Wow. That synopsis was quite uh, long, wasn't it? It was. It's a Bronze Age comic, what do you expect? The splash page is essentially the cover again, but the art's not as good, is it? The art's not as good throughout. It's a bit wonky. The art is variable, I will have to say that. There are moments where the artwork is quite gritty and, and good, and then there's moments where it's just flat-out cartoony. With wonky eyes. Yeah, with wonky eyes. And then there are moments where John Romita has clearly been brought in to redraw pages. <laughs> and suddenly it becomes a room page ten. Page ten is John Romita, isn't it? Yeah. That's not um, George Tusker. Clearly. So there is there is that angle to it, I will give you that. There yeah. is a, a bit of variability to the artwork. And it's I actually think this would have been much better if it had been one of Marvel's black and white magazines. Yeah. Because the fact that the language is so clean in this actually makes it laughable, doesn't it? Mm. It doesn't work as well as it might because of the language is just so toned down. I mean, it's not quite as 70s as it could be, which is a shame. Yeah. I wanted it to be much more, uh, you dig? <laughs> Jav. Yeah, we do, well, we do get a couple of, uh, now step aside, Jav mouth. <laughs> We're on the street. You dig? I wanted more of that, and we don't really get it, which is a shame. Yeah. 
I like that they all have great nicknames of Shades and Comanche. <laughs> these are these are great names for people. Quote is a very odd name. Yeah. Because it makes you think that he's a cartoon character. And Rackham, I just kept thinking of Tintin. Okay. <laughs> Quote, Quote is a cartoon character in this He is. He is. That's very true. It's like I didn't know whether I'm supposed to be taking this issue seriously or not. Oh, totes. In a 70s black exploitation kind of way. Yeah, it, well, it's what's his name? It's, um, you never seen the Hammer film Dracula AD 1972. Isn't that the one where Dracula's black? No, 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 that's the one where Dracula comes back to life in 1972. Oh, right, okay. So it, it's, it's basically. Hey, Jack took it! I was gonna say, did they really make a black exploitation Dracula film? Oh, yeah, Blackula. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a real thing. They, they did make black. It's, um, <laughs> is that Richard Roundtree? I don't know. I think it may be, but Blackula, yeah, Blackula's a real thing. That's absolutely true. There are some character bits as well that scream more of plot manipulation than actually being organic. Stryker completely blames Lucas for Reva ditching him, which came out of nowhere, yeah. given that Lucas just saved his life. And it, it did feel like a really shoddy motivation. And I do think, with the benefit of hindsight, they, they could have fleshed out this backstory quite considerably. And maybe change the order of events a little bit. Maybe have it so Lucas and Reva are having an affair. Right. And she's not willing to leave Stryker because she's scared of him or, or whatever. But then Lucas still saves his life. So Stryker has this kind of debt that he owes Lucas that he won't kill him. But he still frames him and sends him to jail. Because he won't kill him now because he owes him something. But he still wants him out of the way. Yeah. And then... Maybe he deliberately arranges to have Reva killed because she's been having the fur with Lucas. Yeah, I think all that could have been could have been stretched out a bit. It makes more. It, it makes him more of a bastard if he does it like that. In this, Stryker's just a victim of circumstance, isn't yeah. he? He's never really a proactive character. Lucas has to save his life. He's he's not aware that his girl's going behind his back and he's encroaching on territory that's owned by other mobs, but he's not really good enough or clever enough to to steal it off him. But then later on he just turns into this full-blown super yeah. villain with a costume I didn't name. like that at all. Yeah. I hated that completely and utterly. After an entire issue that was basically quite grounded yeah with the exception of the experiment that goes wrong that gives him the steel hard skin to suddenly have a super villain and John Romita show back up <laughs> on the last page it took me out of the story which is why I didn't mention it in the synopsis right, okay. I was much more interested in concentrating on the gritty yeah jail story essentially jailbreak story and framed for a crime he didn't commit and all that story rather than the superhero stuff yeah which I, I didn't think really sorted. I love that the origin as well, Luke Cage's origin doesn't matter. Yeah. Does it? I can it, I can hear the conversation between Roy and Archer. Uh, you know, it's just some chemicals, some other stuff, and you know what? F*** it. Who gives a s***? He's got powers. Drink. And off they went. Be off yeah. the pub. Well, do you not think he's, his origin is kind of similar to Captain America? Yes. He is a black Captain America. Yeah. But, of course, he's a con rather than a, an all-American hero. There is that, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, essentially it is bathed in a bunch of chemicals that they don't know what it is, really. Someone shows up, messes Somebody it up. Somebody shows up, messes it up. And then Captain America runs away naked and <laughs> starts making money as Captain for Hire. I don't remember that. <laughs> the story. But, well, 
Burstein's alive after this, so there's no reason you can't replicate this formula. Yeah. Although what happens to Luke is an accident, isn't it? Mm. If um, if the cop was Rackham hadn't come in and done whatever he did, he might not have super strong skin. He might not have the super strong skin, so they, maybe they would have to replicate what it is that he did and not really know what yeah. he did. Although this will all come into play in the later story, right? That okay. we'll cover either this week or next week. Can't remember at this point. Actually, having Striker arranged to kill Reaver as well would give Lucas a better reason to hate him because from this story we don't know that Reaver even has a thing for Luke. Yeah. Do we? It's never explicitly stated in this that Reaver and Lucas are having Anna for or she even reciprocates his feelings towards her. Yeah. We know he fancies her but we never get the impression that she fancies him. Mm. So that could have been flashed out a bit more as well. Um, as I mentioned not a minute ago, there is absolutely no reason whatsoever for Luke Cage to wear a costume. None. And the fact that he's trying to stay under the radar, it kind of makes no sense that he would wear a costume. Yeah. Because I know he's believed to be dead, so they're not looking for him. But at the same time, if somebody sees his picture in the paper, yeah, Dr. Burstein or something, they're going to know he's alive, aren't they? Yeah. So drawing attention to himself like this seems a bit... Silly. Well, we know he's in the paper. Yeah. Yes, he does get in the newspaper, doesn't he? Mm. In uh, in the Amazing Spider-Man issue. Yeah. That we're going to cover in a minute. Well, speaking of clothes, though, mm. he's naked when they do the test, right? Yes. But then in the, uh, he's just got clothes on again, just so that he can have a scene where he leaves his clothes behind when he jumps off the cliff. Uh, he, he steals. If you have a look, well, it doesn't actually say anywhere, does it? He's naked when he comes out of the bath, yes, which makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense he's not wearing anything. But when he starts punching the wall, he's suddenly got a, a jacket on that he and must have stolen shoes. from somewhere. And, yeah, pants and... Well, maybe he just put his con stuff back on. Because he comes in in them. Yeah. So it's possible he just picked them up and put them back on. I like some of the dialogue as well that doesn't quite match up with the, the what we see. Because there's one bit where we see the guy with the syringe... Yeah. And then Luke's like, no, you're not putting that in me. And then the next panel, we still he's still not put the syringe in, and Luke just says, ah, now that you have given me the shot, I will get in this bath. Oh, yeah, he, f- he actually infuses... Ref- and again, just like Captain America, he has to have the injection first. Yeah. You're absolutely right, there are incredible parallels to Captain America that completely sailed over my head. Well spotted. Well, he kind of talks him into doing it. He's basically like, if you don't have this injection, you can't go in the chemicals, and this is you know, the reason that I needed you in the first place. But I just like how Luke says, no, 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 and we never see him put the injection in, oh, right. so Luke has to tell us, now that you have done that, right. I will then do this. We never actually see him, use- well, maybe the comics code would let him do that. Yeah. That's possible. I don't know why. Drugs and stuff. There is a... Even though it's quite... Cl- well, it is a drug, isn't it? Yeah. I suppose. So, oh, right. so can comic characters not drink Calpol because it's a drug <laughs> Can they not drink beer? Calpol is against the comics code. Calpol, well, we used to dose you up on Calpol. <laughs> uh, the final two pages, which I didn't bother with in the in the synopsis, set up the series in which Striker has also become a villain named Diamondback for absolutely no reason. The last two pages, I thought, really let down the issue. Yeah. I'd... As soon as he leaves the prison, it just goes downhill fast. No, I didn't mind him setting himself up as a hero for hire. I didn't mind that, although it is rushed. Yeah. I'll agree with you totally that how he sets himself up as Luke Cage is... Nowadays, 
this, well, nowadays this would have been six issues. Yeah. So let's be thankful that it was only one. But they would have spent more than two pages on him escaping from prison, finding, doing what it is he does, stopping the robbery, getting the money, setting himself up in business. There's another issue's worth of story, though. Yeah. It's like they enjoyed writing the prison bit too much and then realised they had to set up this character. Yeah, I had to set up the superheroic elements yeah, for the series. Because there are literally days, like, even weeks taking yeah. place within one panel. Yeah, where he walks from, well, it says long months. Yeah. So he's he's months away from escaping the prison. Just in the space of a panel. In the space of one panel. I loved, I did love him getting away from the prison. That it's not a deliberate thing. He does get shot. Yeah. Numerous times. He falls into the water and it's quite a lengthy fall. And no one's more surprised than him that he's alive. And I like that he's got all the bullets in him. Yeah. And he presumably has to pluck them all out. So there's none of that they've bounced off him stuff. They've actually stuck in him. Yeah. They've just not penetrated his skin, Mm. which I thought was a really nice touch. So he's plucked all of them out, and then they find his ripped shirt. So they think he's dead. Yeah. I liked that, and I love how he sneaks away, takes a boat, and then gets back to the mainland. All that was, was pretty good. But... I I do agree with you. I think that as much as I'm normally the one who wants fidelity to the source material, if the Netflix version of this just updates this origin, because there's no reason they can't, and then doesn't have him wear a costume of any kind, I won't be upset. Yeah. Because this works just fine without that panel of him in a costume. That's definitely a product of the times. Well, when he actually says the costume's a little hokey, so why wear a costume? Well, he even says to keep in the superhero scene. Yeah, well, but he's not hes not advertising himself as a... Well, I suppose he is hero for hire, I suppose. Yeah. But he could just be a bodyguard. Yeah. He could just rent himself out as a bodyguard and such. So that, yeah, I don't disagree with you that the last, the last panel of, of page 22 and then the last page completely, it just suddenly becomes a superhero comic book, whereas before it wasn't that. Yeah. And it didn't need to do that. But obviously they thought making a superhero comic would make it sell. It is an amazing collection of cliches and stock characters. And yet, amazingly, it's massively entertaining. Or I thought it was, anyway. For a start, Luke is framed for a crime he didn't commit. He's believed to be dead and he's on the run, taking a new name after visiting the grave of his lover that never was. It's the pilot to the Incredible Hulk. That is exactly the ending of The Incredible Hulk. Elena Marks. I always thought you loved me, even though you never said it. The lover that he never got. He visits the grave. He goes off on his own. Do, 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 do. (laughs) That's the ending to this, isn't it? He's believed to be dead. He's wanted for a crime he didn't commit. That's what this... I mean, granted, this did it before the Hulk did it. Hmm. But it's basically exactly the same. It's exactly the same setup as the Hulk. Then there's the militant criminals... Cage is presented as a prototypical angry young man. There are corrupt guards. It's so far so cliched in every single aspect. But there's something about Luke Cage that's appealing. His power level isn't amazingly fantastic. Sure, bullets, you know, don't penetrate his skin, but he's still just a man trying to survive in a world that seems to beat him down at every opportunity. And there's, I thought these were just wonderful pulp fiction origins he's pulpy and it transcends cliche and becomes iconic and it's just a gloriously pulpy and entertaining comic book 
I take it you didn't agree. No, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the prison bits. Um, it, it was the the superhero elements and the rushed ending that just made it a bit disappointing. Yeah, if the the end of this one had been him going to Reva's grave, yeah, that had closed out the issue, and then the next issue was him going to the diner and coming across the robbery that he stops and setting himself up as the hero for hire. If that had been fleshed out a bit more into the first half of next issue, yeah, I think it would have worked. Yeah, because as it is, it's jam-packed with plot, as you can tell from the length of synopsis, and its black exploitation roots are worn openly on its sleeve. But this tale of the seedier side of the Marvel Universe, I thought it was just a crap ton of fun. I really did enjoy reading this. What do you think the Netflix series is going to do with that? Do you think they're going to do a faithful version of that origin? Maybe not. Why not? I don't know. It, it is bordering on cliche now. So. Uh, with Luke Cage, do you even need an origin? Well, it, well it, it depends how they're going to do it. If he's going to be in Jessica Jones first, is he going to be Luke Cage in Jessica and Jones? And then we jump back. And in. then... Yeah, and then, we're, and then in his own show, we fill in the blanks as to how he got to be Luke Cage. Yeah. That would be interesting, mm. that we meet him and he's already working with Jessica or doing whatever he does, his hero for higher shtick. Yeah. And then in his own series, we flash back and, and learn how he became who he was. Uh, I read this in Marvel First, the 1970s, Volume 1, just in case you want to track it down, because uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. The man called Cage would prove to be one of the more durable concepts in the 70s age of diversification, and there is no greater example of a character's appeal than being given a chance to guest her with Marvel's flagship character. The Amazing Spider-Man, a titanic team-up that occurred in Amazing Spider-Man 123, cover dated August 1973 and the sound you hear lovely listener is not me stealing sound effects from uh, Professor Allen's show it's me leafing through Essential Spider-Man Volume 6 to look at the cover for Amazing Spider-Man 123 also a few weeks ago I mentioned we've been asked to participate in the hashtag Conway X over but we've just done a Jerry Conway comic. Well, late to the party, as usual. Now that it's all set. Now that it's all over, we originally had this lined up. But, you know, we'll give a shout-out to everybody involved in that endeavour. Um, Fire and Wars podcast was involved in it, and Chris Franklin's Supermates was involved in it. There's a lot of people, a lot of good people got involved in it. And we're here late. <laughs> Better late than never. Better, showing up to the party as everyone else has gone over. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. We'll finish that bottle of Jack, though, won't we? <laughs> All on our Billy Todd. <laughs> Just a Man Called Cage was written by Jerry Conway. Hashtag Conway X over. With art by Gil Kay, John Romita and Tony Mortellaro. The cover. A simply magnificent slice of Romita has Cage punching the living daylights out of the book's hero. Proclaiming, Hang it up, web spinner. Maybe those strap hanger type shiver in their boots. But you're just another job to Luke Cage. Hero for hire. Sucker! You just want to say sucker at the end of every one yeah, of his yeah. lines of dialogue, don't you? Uh, the battle takes place on a rooftop, and as such, chimneys are strewn everywhere. Down below, passers-by and apartment residents look up. I did wonder what a strap hanger was. Right. So I looked it up on Urban Dictionary. Is it where you hang your straps? No. Oh, you looked it up on Urban I Dictionary. Looked it up on Urban right, Dictionary. Okay. You know what it said? Right. Generally, people who ride buses or subways all the time, they just stand in the aisle and hang on to the straps so they don't fall down. 
I am none the wiser as to why that's an insult. Uh, yeah. Are you? I was expecting a bit more of it coming from Open Dictionary. <laughs> you were expecting it to be something to do with felching, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe something to do with dogging. <laughs> but no! Yeah, yeah. So, so why, why, is that, why is that an insult? Maybe it isn't, like, jive talk. We, we'd have to get an, an elderly lady. Maybe Excuse me? Strapangus. I talk jive. <laughs> Yeah, alright, fair enough. Uh, just a man called Cage. I've already said the title, but I'll I'll say it again anyway. Newspaper reporters and assorted policemen buzz about as Norman Osborne's dead body, despite what you may have read in the Clone Saga, is brought out of a warehouse. Amongst these bastions of journalistic integrity, J. Jonah Jameson and Robbie Robertson, publisher and editor of the Daily Bugle, ponder who would have wanted to kill Osborne. Well... Robbie ponders. The surfeit of webbing gives Jonah no hesitation in declaring Spider-Man the murderer, even as the police urge caution. There are too many unanswered questions here, they tell Jonah. Osborne's body had been moved, and there are just too many pumpkin bombs lying around as webbing. None of this matters to Jonah. Spider-Man did it, and if the police won't do anything, by gadfrey, Jonah will bring Spider-Man to justice. To that end... Jonah skips the funeral of Gwen Stacy and instead heads to Harlem to hire Luke Cage. He offers Cage $5,000 to bring in Spider-Man, dead or alive. Spider-Man swings around New York trying to gain some perspective and wonder who took the Green Goblin costume off Norman. He decides he's had enough of this superhero lark and decides to pack it all in. His self-reflection is interrupted by Luke Cage who pile-drives into the wall crawler. Spidey shakes his head and gets back in the game, mouthing off about Cage's lifestyle choices and giving him the smackdown. Cage is pissed off at Spidey's holier-than-thou attitude and lays a few kicks, punches and, for good measure, a headbutt on Spidey, knocking him off the roof. Spidey shoots off a web line which Bungie jumps him back into the game, kicking Cage about a bit and knocking him through a skylight. Spider-Man takes his leave and Cage vows to track him down. Spider-Man just made it personal, you dig? That night, Peter Parker attends a concert at ESU with Murray J in an effort to get back to normal after the death of Gwen, but Luke Cage has done his homework and figured out Spidey's most popular haunt, ESU being one of them. He announces that he wants Spider-Man and Peter duly obliges. They fight a bit more, but Spider-Man has a moment of lucidity where he wonders what the hell are they fighting for? He webs Cage up and then asks him to give Spidey five minutes to talk. Spider-Man has learnt his lesson, pointing out to Cage that he too started out in this biz trying to earn money, and Cage learns that sometimes the client isn't always right. Cage heads to the bugle where he stuffs Jonah's money down his throat, literally. Peter returns to MJ and they leave, not so alone after all. The immediate aftermath of the death of Gwen Stacer. Hmm. And as such, not as oft reprinted. As the issue before. Is this the first time you'd ever read that? Yeah, it is, yeah. The immediate aftermath of Gwen's death. Um, this was a bit, um, this was a bit anal, but go with me. Right. This story takes place on Saturday. Okay. If we assume that Norman's body is found the day after his death, early morning, yeah. that kind of thing, then, and the funeral from Gwen, it says, takes place three days after she dies, that means Gwen could have died on Tuesday, April 10th, 1973. Right? Right. Doesn't matter really. Except, that's the exact date that Amazing Spider-Man 122 came out. Okay. Only I probably found that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. I actually looked all that up. 
Uh, so she died on the day the issue came out. If, if my calculations based on what he said in this issue is correct... Right. You know, if, if Jerry Conway actually listens to our show, you think he sat there going, after all this time... <laughs> Somebody has noticed that I did that! That would be genius! <laughs> hey, we're part of hashtag Conway X over. Right. So it's entirely possible he's going to listen to this show. <laughs> And be made up that after all this time somebody put that together. <laughs> Unless somebody's already put it together before me. Yeah. In which case, I'm a bit miffed. Because I went to all that effort of, of working out the days <laughs> and going back on the calendar and, work, and then looking on Mike's Amazing World. What yeah, was I did look amazing. up on the ca- calendar. I, I did, I looked on the... I, I looked what date was such and such in 1973. <laughs> anyway, uh, Cage is introduced to this story because we're not covering this for the Spider-Man aspect. Uh, Cage is introduced throwing a man out of his office who wanted him to work on Saturday and to persuade Cage he pulled a gun on him. Yeah. Doesn't strike me as terribly bright. So to persuade Cage, Jameson pulls out a few dollar bills. Jameson pulls out a a fistful of dollars. Ignoring why Cage was in his office on a Saturday. Yeah, in full costume. Yeah, unless... Well, this is all he wears now. Okay, yeah. Now that he's in a superhero costume, that's all he wears. He never wears any other clothes. Which was another yeah, reason. Yeah, in the fly. Yes, basically. Which is another reason he doesn't need to wear these stuff, does yeah. he? Yeah. I think it would make more sense if he didn't. Unless he lives there. Yeah. It is possible he lives in his office. Mm-hmm. It's a home office or something like that. It still seems a very rough way to treat your clientele. I, I, Chucking him out yeah. of a window. I like this introduction, that was pretty cool. Yeah. As we mentioned earlier on, Luke Cage's picture is plastered all over the cover of the Daily Bugle. Yeah. Which I can't imagine is terribly bright for a guy trying to keep a low profile. This, I found this story to be pretty ridiculous, though. Why? J. Jonah Jameson is not a high-ranking officer. No, no, he isn't. He's not the mayor. No, He's he isn't. just the head of a newspaper. He so he takes it upon himself to decide who is guilty for the death of Norman Osborn. Yeah. Then hires Luke Cage to te- capture Spider-Man dead or alive. Yes. Luke Cage then goes, well... I'm going to go capture him dead or alive. <laughs> like, I, I don't think he's done anything bad, but I don't think he's got it in him to kill Spider-Man. Well, you're absolutely right. Jonah is well out of his bounds. Jameson here. takes it upon himself to kill someone through a third party. Yeah, Jameson takes himself to hire somebody to Wait, murder somebody. What's he going to do if Luke Cage brings him alive? Assassinating himself. <laughs> Execute Spider-Man. <laughs> then what does he do? Get arrested. I'm a... The Spider Slayer's a bit ridiculous, but pretty fun. Actually hiring Luke Cage to bring him so that he can execute him. Or have Luke Cage kill him himself. But so why bring him alive then? I, I don't just, know. Just scalp him for evidence. <laughs> well, let's not forget this is the man who experimented on Matt Gargan and made him the Scorpion. <laughs> yes. And why then... is no one lost Jameson away? Jameson's a menace to New York. But then he will do that again later with the fly. He will pay to have somebody turn him into the fly. So in addition to the Scorpion and the Spider Slayers, clues in the name, he's hiring people to kill Spider-Man. Someone needs to lock him away. Who's the real menace? I don't think it's Spider-Man. Unless you're Spider-Man, you're pretty safe. (laughs) Yeah, he's got a very focused point for his rage. But the point still remains, he's paid people to kill somebody before. <laughs> that is not the actions of an innocent man. And the police even say, well, you're, you're not in the right place to tell me what to do, Jameson. <laughs> but if you get a third party to do it, it's... 
Yeah, it's kind of, it's not completely out of character, but I'm not going to disagree with you that it is plainly ridiculous (laughs) that Jonah has never been put on trial for any of this. Because he doesn't make any secret of the fact that he's created the Spider Slayers. It's on his CV. Yeah, he's proud of it. (laughs) Uh, Spider-Man clearly states here he does not feel guilty about the death of Gwen. As he did everything he could to prevent it. You know, like Weber ankle, so a neck snapped. <laughs> oh, so you admit it now? No, 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 no. Firstly, this is Spider-Man, right? <laughs> this is the poster child for guilt. Secondly, it kind of proves he was unaware of the snap. Yeah. If he doesn't feel guilty for the death of Gwen. If he's firmly playing, no, Norman killed her. Right. He can't be aware of that. Yeah. Which goes back to what we talked about when we did the, uh, the Night Gwen Stacy dies stories. That I think... I think that was a little bit misguided putting that snap in. Because if, if it's ever revealed that Peter did kill her, you know Matt Miller jumped all over that. Yeah. Matt Miller is definitely Peter killed. Spider Man killed Gwen. Yeah. We don't know Gwen wasn't already dead, just based on that story. No, but the snapping definitely. Yes. So my thinking is if he was aware of that, he'd kill himself. He'd throw himself really? off. But yeah, I think he'd end it. I don't think he could live with being responsible for the death of Uncle Ben and the death of Gwen Stursa. I guess. I think that would be too much for his psyche. I think he'd just snap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, to brighten things up a little bit, he could get a bit off the edge that someone else kills him. Yeah. He goes over the, the hedge and, and Joe Jonah Jameson kills him. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, Spider-Man is also incredibly judgmental of how Luke Cage makes his money. Yeah. I mean, you know, given that Spider-Man makes money taking pictures of himself... Yeah. That seemed a tad hypocritical to me. Hmm. And the amount of times he's actually faked a news picture... Yeah. I can't, I can't help but think that what Luke does is... At least Luke's honest about what he's doing. There is, though, yeah. So, I mean, the artwork's brilliant in the first fight. I love, uh, love Johnny Romita's artwork. When he's accused of being a mercenary, though, Luke Cage retorts by saying, <clears throat> We know rich playboys like Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And I, I, I thought that was a really weird choice, because, A, Marvel's got plenty of rich playboys that they could have used. Tony Stark. Tony Stark. And, two, this implies Bruce Wayne's real. Yeah. In the Marvel Universe. Maybe he, he Bruce Wayne is, but Batman's not. But yeah, he doesn't say Bruce Wayne, that comic character. Yeah. Or he doesn't yeah. say it like that. He says Bruce Wayne as if he's a person. Do you think Conway forgot which company he was writing <laughs> for? I don't think so. I think it's a, a deliberate dig at DC, but the, you can read it as if Bruce Wayne's real. Yeah. No, I, I stopped at that. Cause it does, and it takes you out of it, doesn't a it? A little bit, It yeah. takes you out of the story. Yeah, it's a bit like when you're watching the Daredevil film and it's, oh, he's just said Quisada, oh, he's just said Bendis. And you're going, wait a minute, all these Easter eggs are taking me out of the movie, please stop. Uh, apart from some unusual panel angles as well, I see very little Gil Kane in this issue. Yeah. John Romita has uh, very heavily inked and or redrew a lot of it, hasn't he? I don't know whether that's to keep Luke Cage on model, but... Some of, the, some of the camera angles are very definitely Kane. I mean, there's a definite Gil Kaneism there. Spider-Man in the background punching Luke, who in the foreground comes flying at you with his arms flailing everywhere. Yeah. Kane puts that in every comic that he draws. Right. His old Green Lanterns, it's in there. It's in his action comics run on Superman. It's a, a stock Gil Kane panel layout. But the art in and of itself is Remeter all the way, isn't it? Mm. Cage announces... I, 
at the ESU concert that Spider-Man had better face him and Spidey shows up 60 seconds later. Would that, to you, not seem to be a pretty big clue that Spider-Man is a student at ESU? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, allowing for the fact that ESU has about 50,000 people. I googled how many New York University has. Okay. Because ESU is supposed to be New York University. Yeah. They've got 50,000 students, right? Narrow that down to just the men. Yeah. And you've got a pretty decent size of people to try and determine who Spider-Man is. You've narrowed it down from the entire population of New York, so... Luke Cage said that he doesn't even know if Spider-Man's actually there. Yes. If Peter doesn't even change, then that'll probably be benefit. Yeah, well, he's basically been told by Jonah that based on studies, there are three or four places that Spider-Man is seen a lot. Yeah. The Daily Bugle, obviously, ESU, and a couple of other places. Hmm. So he takes a gamble that he's going to be at ESU rather than the Daily Bugle. Yeah. So, I mean, if he'd not been here, he'd just gone to the other two places, I presume. But yeah, if Peter hadn't done anything here, what would Luke have done? Yeah. He would have just gone, oh. Sorry, folks. Just, just, just kidding. And left. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll pay to repair the door, but I don't have much in the yeah, way of... Uh, I'll play the door that I just ruined for yeah. no reason. I don't have much in the way of green at the moment, so... Uh, <laughs> put yeah, well, and again, you, with your, your, your ESU thing, you eliminate all the women. Yeah. You eliminate... So you can eliminate accents. You can eliminate everyone who's not at this. You can event. eliminate everyone who's not at this event. Yeah. So that's narrowing it down even more. Size, weight... Yeah. So if you if you're five foot five, you're like, well, I can eliminate you straight away. Yeah. And you can you could probably do a pretty decent job of narrowing down who Spider Man is from this. If there was anyone there who'd even give this any thought. <laughs> now, actually, this this goes into a really cool thing. You know, it has been retconned that Mary Jane has known from the very beginning. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been cool if this was one of the places where she started putting it together? Yeah. We've done this in a show before. There are other places where Murray Jane could have pieced it together yeah. that would have made more sense than she saw him coming out of the room in Amazing Fantasy 15. And this could be one of the clues. I think I said the Mirage issue, didn't I? The wedding of Ned Leeds. Yeah. Where she finally figured it all out. But this could have been a clue to her. Yeah. She could have been like, all right, so Spider-Man must go to ESU. Well, I can eliminate... <laughs> but I know I'm not Spider-Man. So that would have been much better. Yeah. If they've actually said it over a series, over amount of time, she figured it out. Mm. Rather than she saw him... Because saying she knew he was Spider-Man from Amazing Fantasy 15 has never worked for me. I just mm. don't like it. I don't think it's... There's any number of in instances here, for example. If she knew he was Spider-Man here, she'd run some interference, wouldn't she? Yeah. So there's any number of instances where the writer was clearly writing her as not knowing. Mm. This being one of... I, I like how when Spider-Man comes down... He webs up Luke Cage to calm him down. He's like, calm down. And Luke Cage, he's webbed to the floor, just suddenly calms down. Well, he does say that he'll, uh, he will break out of it, but it'll take you a couple of minutes, by which point I can talk to you. Yeah. And maybe he calms him down by talking to him. But I do like all that talk about me being nothing but a money grabber, says Luke Cage. So we're all money grabbers by going to work and getting paid for it. Yeah. Alright, fair enough. <laughs> uh, interesting issue of Amazing Spider-Man, giving Cage a decent role and allowing us to see a story from the point of view of one of Cage's clients. I don't know why Spider-Man is so down on Cage hiring himself out, especially as he says he mostly takes cases where his client is in the right. And it seems to me that what Cage is doing makes perfect sense. It's a way to help people and make some scratch. Nobility only goes as far as the next mortgage payment. 
And I think you can even argue a case that in this issue, the villain of the story is Jonah. Mm. Not Luke Cage, not Spider-Man. The villain of the piece in this one is J. Jonah Jameson. I would have liked to learn what Spider-Man said to Cage, as the ending implies they showed a bit of history. And then he even says to MJ at the end, he's not so alone after all. And I want the next panel of this story, which isn't here because this issue ends, be MJ turn around and say to him, So what have I been doing then? <laughs> you ungrateful git. But it's a decent issue for both the Spider-Man fan and the Luke Cage fan. What did you think? I really like Luke Cage in this. I like Luke Cage in this. Yeah, I prefer him in this than in the first issue. Well, the actual Luke Cage issue. He's had time to be flashed out into his own self here, hasn't he? Yeah. So he's becoming the Luke Cage that... Uh, that we know and love by this point. I do like Luke Cage. I like John Romita's drawing of Luke Cage. Yeah, I liked Romita's Luke Cage. Because again, there's not a lot of Gil Cage in this. <laughs> I'd love to see the original pencils of this and see how much Gil Cage was redrawn. Because hmm. we mentioned when we did um, Death of Gwen Stacy that a number of these pages were redrawn by John Romita. Because with it being the essential, we can we can leaf through the whole thing. Very good. I thoroughly enjoyed that one. Yeah, I thought that was great. Absolutely fantastic. Whilst Cage was one of the biggest successes of the 70s, he was far from a smash hit. Roy Thomas is quoted as saying in Marvel The Untold Story that whilst young black kids would read comics about white heroes, getting white kids to read comics about black heroes was a tougher sell. And neither white nor black males would read a comic about a girl. Cage underwent a title change with issue 17, altering from the far more appropriate Luke Cage hero for hire to the more sophomoric Luke Cage Power Man, which is one of the sillier names for a hero. Are they all Power Man on some level? (laughs) No? Okay. Sadly, sales didn't rise notably, so with issue 48, an interesting experiment took place. Marvel decided to merge two moderately selling titles, Power Man and Iron Fist, into one book, with the hope that both readerships were sufficiently different that together they would see an increase in sales. Power Man issue 48, cover dated December 1977, has a cover by Gil Kane and Joe Sinnott, and sees Luke taking on the martial arts might of Iron Fist. You got some bad moves, ballet britches, Cage yells on the cover. But Kung Fu kicks and flaming fist won't stop me from bringing this building down on your head. Cage does just that as Iron Fist kicks him in the face. Not terribly well reprinted in the essential, is it? No. You can't really... Some of the lie work's dropped off on Misty Knight's face. Or is it Colleen Rand? I think it's Colleen Rand. Um, um, it's kind of hard to get a good look at what's going on, isn't it? It's kind of like that for the rest of the issue, though. Yeah, the reproduction in this particular issue of this, um, what we're reading this in, Essential Iron Fist Volume 1, is is not good. Mm. And I'm almost considering rebuying this when Iron Fist gets his Marvel Master Masterworks. Work. Yeah, because this, this essentially is brilliant. Yeah. I love this essential Iron Fist. I think it's fantastic. So I can't really ask you what you think of the cover, because it's not, you know... It's alright. Yeah. But we can't really get a good look at it. The reproduction's too bad. Mm. Fist of Iron, Heart of Stone was written by Chris Claremont, with art by John Byrne and Dan Green. Luke Cage bursts through the wall of Danny Rand, a.k.a. Iron Fist's apartment, looking for Misty Knight. He finds Colleen Wing, Misty's partner in Nightwing Inc., who is staying at Danny's apartment. Cade starts to pursue Colleen, demanding to know where Misty is, but Colleen manages to put up a decent fight against our alleged hero for hire. 
The fight moves upstairs while Colleen manages to hide long enough to phone Misty and Danny, who are on a date at Misty's place. Danny and Misty are about to get hot and heavy and almost don't answer the phone, but they do, just in time to hear Colleen scream as the line goes dead. They head over to Danny's place, sensibly splitting up and taking different routes. Misty arrives first and Cage tells her she's coming with him, peaceably or in pieces. Misty responds by shooting Cage in the chest, a move that has no impact, and Cage grabs Misty and throws her to the floor. Cage, not impressed by what he's done, prepares to leave with Misty, only to be punched across the room, through the wall and into an abandoned tenement across the street. Two shady looking dudes who are sat watching decide to take off at this point and Cage, groggy but unharmed, sees them leave and thinks that he's blown it. His friends will now pay the price. Angered, he approaches the man who punched him an equally enraged iron fist and they set upon each other. Cage is full of self-loathing for what he's done but in the heat of battle pins fist down and prepares to strangle the life from him. He comes around at the last minute and Fist asks him what the hell this was all about. Cage says it doesn't matter. He's just signed the death warrant of his two closest friends. Ooh. Uh, if Cage is after Misty Knight, why does he go to Danny Rand's apartment? That's a good point. Why not just go straight to Misty's apartment? That's a good point. And one for which you have no answer. No. Excellent, okay. Both Colleen and Misty refer to Cage as Book. Yeah. Which apparently is a racial slur. Alright. Odd, then, that it should be uttered by Misty, who is also African-American. Is it not one of those empowerment, using it within their own racial group things? I don't know, because I was completely unaware of that. Until it became an issue when Mark Grunewald wrote Captain America... Right. And he replaced Captain America, Steve Rogers, with a new Captain America, and they got a new bookie, and he was a black guy, and right. then they started receiving letters from people going, you do know that that's a racial slur for a black guy, right? And Mark Grunewald, like me, was like, uh, no, I didn't know that, so he changed the name of the character. Oh, okay. Which is fair enough. I guess. In that particular instance. I thought that it was just a reference to Studley Young Buck. Exactly. Like which that. meant Cage, you know, was yeah. young and virile. Ah, you young buck. Yeah, that's what I thought it was a reference <laughs> to. Obviously, I lead a very sheltered life. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Danny asked Colleen to not answer the phone. What do you think he had in mind? Uh, Boom chicka wow He's going to show her his iron fist. Well, hey! <laughs> uh, okay. Put Cage. on the washing up glove. Cage is incredibly chauvinistic in this story. Yeah. He's taken by surprise by both Colleen and Misty, simply because he underestimates them because they're women. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I quite liked that. I thought that was was an okay character trait. It's not an enlightened one. But he's not an enlightened guy. But character. he's not an enlightened guy, no. And it gives him a little bit of depth. He's not a sexist. Let's not, you know, confuse the two. He's definitely not a sexist, but he's got specific ideas about what a woman should be. And then he gets his ass kicked by both of them. Yeah. So I quite like that as well. But, you know, a, a little bit of chauvinism in his character is not a bad thing. There's layers to it. Yeah. And I think by eliminating that from everybody in this era of political correctness is a mistake, because it doesn't make people fully rounded characters. Yeah, yeah. Because, like I say, he's not a sexist... Mm. And he's definitely not a misogynist. Yeah. But he's a little bit chauvinistic. But is it sexist and misogynistic to have those 
set rigid ideas no. all the times. Because think about old people. No one complains about old people being racist. They're just old people from that time. Yeah, people do complain about them being racist, dude. <laughs> do they? Yeah. Okay. Your mum complains about a certain relative of ours all the time. Exactly. Yeah, not everyone can be perfect. Yeah, and like, a, like I, I keep harping on about, he's not a sexist or a misogynist. He's, he's just a chauvinist. Yeah. And there is a difference. Yeah. And I think we need to acknowledge that there's a difference. I think Luke has a lot of respect for women. I just think he in just this thinks case, he's stronger than them. Yeah, he just thinks that they're, they're a little bit lesser than him, or maybe they should be at home. You know, the little lady should be at home, <laughs> and they kick his ass. Yeah. So fair enough. Cage also ends up loathing himself for what he's done, and Iron Fist stepping out of the shadows. Yeah. With the the fist alight, and then punching him across the road was just magnificently just cool. Just four panels alone. Yeah, of him stepping out of the darkness and yeah. the, the iron fist lighting up. Then there's a full page splash of cage being punched out the wall and then the entire next page is him sailing across the street smacking into the tenements across the room and then it collapsing on him. Now it, it's very fortunate that the tenements across the road was empty mm. but that being said, what a awesome two pages yeah absolutely brilliant stuff loved it I love the sound effects as well <laughs> shree and then thakoo and scrush and gronk yeah and shades and comanche there are like oh boy <laughs> somebody that can do that to Luke Cage maybe we don't want to stick around so that was great the, the dialogue in the scene where Cage strangles Fist it seems like Fist let Cage do this as he senses that Cage is no ca- uh, killer. I thought that was a hell of a gamble. Yeah. To be honest with you. What if he was wrong? There is There that. is no Power Man and Iron Fist, he, is there? He, he was willing to go and kill Spider-Man. He was. <laughs> he was willing to take a contract on Spider-Man dead or alive. <laughs> Wall-to-wall action. This was a fantastic comic. Because I was reading this in the Iron Fist Essential, I was as in the dark as Iron Fist and co. as to what Cage was up to. And Clermont does a great job of playing up the tension. Shades and Comanche are obviously manipulating Cage somehow, but to what end? In this issue, we never find out, do we? No. We do not find out why Cage is doing what he's doing in this one comic book. Iron Fist is a great guest star, and Clermont is setting up the direction the title will take in the future. Burns' art is frenetic and fluid, ably assisted by Dan Green on inks, one of Burns' most underrated inkers. And why the two and a half pages of Iron Fist just emerging out the shadows, lighting the fist, and punching Luke across the street isn't on one of Marvel's best ever moments list. I'd, I'll never understand. It's absolutely fantastic. A great issue. And we will conclude the story next week when we look at the next Marvel character to get the Netflix treatment, Iron Fist. What a tease. Sweet Christmas indeed. Cage has been modified and updated throughout the years. In the 1990s, he was given a more streetwise look and relaunched in a new series. Brian Bendis, always a fan, has taken it upon himself to further update Cage in the pages of The Avengers and Alias. Oddly, he didn't write the Marvel Max series, Cage, an honour that went to Brian Azzarello. It's not a bad series, although Richard Corbin's art is god-awful. Azzarello seems to not want to acknowledge that Cage has any superpowers at all, so it basically comes across like an episode of The Wire, and he has a dreadful retcon, 
where he establishes that Cage put the hit out on Stryker that killed Reva, which I, which I think is unforgivable and awful. Especially as beyond a cursory panel, where Sad Cage looks sad, he shows no remorse for this, or even a sign that he cursed. Did you read the six-issue Max series? I did. It was what five did issues. Was it? was it five issues? It was. You're absolutely right. Could not five read another issues. issue of that. You're not a fan, then? I, was not a f- I wasn't a fan of the Luke Cage. The Luke Cage was boring, crap, stiff and rigid. It's Brian Azzarello. It's, um, I, I did like the art, but ah, there were a few yeah. bits where, well, that's not anatomically correct. Or there was quite a busy scene where I'd get lost and confused. I was left, after I'd read all five issues of it, I was ultimately left with, well, what was the point? And it just ends, and he doesn't conclude the case he started. Nope. It just ended. It just stops. And he's not... Luke Cage hero for hire in it although he does get hired for something but he doesn't stop it and he's not Power Man as much as I don't like the name Power Man they kind of tease you all the way through it though are you bulletproof is he bulletproof yeah but it's like Brian Azzarello didn't want to write a superhero character now I know we said that the superhero elements of Luke Cage hero for hire issue one were out of place in that story yeah but you can write a crime noir story or a detective story where Luke happens to be the only thing that's moderately super powered yeah and he, he didn't, he wasn't interested, it's like I say, he wrote an episode of The Wire. Yeah. And not an episode, an issue, a story for Luke Cage. Mm. I didn't think it was very good at all. I wasn't a big fan. And I do wonder why Bendis didn't write it, seeing as Luke Cage is one of his favourites. Um, that, yeah. It is one of those things I think Bendis would have done a much better job. Bendis is my favourite Luke Cage. Yeah. Reading him in Alias, The Pulse, and... I don't the think Avengers. he's in The Pulse, actually, but in Avengers, He's in The Pulse a little bit. Is he? He's not in it a lot. The Pulse was more about the Daily Bugle, wasn't it? Yeah, because Jessica Jones was barely in it. Yeah. But Luke Cage, Bendis is my favourite Luke Cage. So why, why didn't he do the Max series? Maybe, I don't know. But didn't Azarello just come off uh, 100 bullets? bullets? He may have done. Yeah. Anyway, I, I didn't think much of it at all. That issue of Iron Fist, Power Man and Iron Fist, was much better yeah. than anything in that Max series. Anyway, whatever the case, Luke Cage is a character who should have had a shot at the big time ages ago. His origins and backstory, plus the hero for higher angle, would have been perfect for 70s telly. So it's a treat to see that he's about to be exposed to a larger audience. And I'm looking forward to it immensely. Mm. Is that next after Jessica Jones, or is Iron Fist... No, yeah, they can't do Iron Fist before they do Luke Cage. Yeah. If Luke Cage is in Jessica Jones, presumably Luke Cage is going to be the third series. Maybe they'll have the same idea as us, and the Luke Cage TV show will end with the glowing Iron Fist coming from behind him. Maybe. And then it'll just And then end. it'll lead into Iron Fist. Yeah. Well, according to Charlie Cox on an interview on the Empire podcast, they're doing the second series of Daredevil before they do The Defenders. Yeah, I saw that. So that was that was a bit strange. Well, they did a second Iron Man before they did an Avengers. That's true. But I thought the whole point of these four interlocked series was to lead straight into The Defenders. So, uh, I don't know. Strikes me as a bit odd, that. Anyway, next time on an all-new episode, our final look at TV characters that are about to become television shows. I've kind of just shot the load of this, isn't it? We'll yeah. be looking at Iron Fist, uh, Marvel premiere issue, whatever his first issue was, number one, number 15, and then Iron Fist issue 12, the one where he teams up with Captain America to take out the wrecking crew, right? which is fantastic. And then the conclusion to this story from Power Man issue 49. We're doing the conclusion to this last. Yeah. What a tease.
But yeah. <laughs> I thought that worked out perfectly, because Power Man and Iron Fist kind of linked together. Right. So I thought doing the story where they both become Power Man and Iron Fist was a great way to end these two episodes, because we've already done issue 50. Right, Where yeah. it became Power Man and Iron Fist. Yeah. So we'll have done all three of them at that right. point. Out of yeah. sequence. Yeah. Because, you know, we learn everything from George Lucas. So. <laughs> Hope you can join us. Hope you very much enjoyed this. Because I did. Always a good laugh. Always fun. And we'll be back next week with more of the same. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. And no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks internet radio network and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Blasphemy and, and heresy. And when you've left, are you going to listen to my shows? Because you, because I'm not here. Every I, week. I'll be too busy doing college work to. I'm sad. Uh, early meeting. Have to wash my socks. Headache. <laughs> I'd listen to yours. I wonder if I'd do any. Should I do the outhouse when I go to uni? No, there is a part of it that I actually genuinely thought. You know, when we finish, yeah, we just stop. Close the Facebook page down. Right. Close the email down. Just stop. But then how would you talk to Michael Bailey? Yeah, I did think about it. I've made too many friends. You have? At this point. So originally when we went into it, we thought it'll just be a bit of a laugh and nobody will listen and nobody will yeah, talk yeah. to us. And we've ended up making a ton of friends that we talked to through Facebook. But that was the original conception, wasn't it? Yeah. That we, st- we When we stop, we stop. Facebook goes away. Email goes away. It was there. It was a body of work. Done. But thing that you made a mistake because yeah, well, you can't well. walk away from it now in I less than 30 really. seconds yeah. you don't get too attached to anything you can't walk away from yeah. it in less than 30 seconds absolutely right Robert De Niro <laughs> <laughs> should we carry on alright then Robert De Niro's waiting talking Italian <laughs> you talking to me that was that Robert De Niro that was Robert De Niro what was it talking to me I can see anyone else around here talking to me
And then in Goodfellas. Funny hat. Funny like a clown. Well, that's not Robert De Niro. That was <laughs> Joey Pesky. Right, okay. Yeah, funny hat. Funny like a clown. Do I amuse you? You work with funny. <laughs> Leo Getz. Whatever you want. Leo Getz. <laughs> Did you like it? It's like an Italian Zoidberg. <laughs> Did you like my Joey Pesky, Joe Pesky impression? <laughs>